Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Today's episode could be titled Advocacy Never Sleeps. And I'm going to start off with an apology because it has happened that I have talked to an executive director of an organization that wants for me to come um, speak to the organization or to another podcaster who has invited me to be on their podcast. And they say, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? You know, kind of give us a topic and I'll start talking about, you know, maybe it is in this case, the example is three things you could be doing at the end of the school year to make the beginning of next school year easier. And so I kind of, you know, summarize what I would talk about if we did that. And people are like, whoa, 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 you're going to overwhelm my audience. Yes, that's good. That's good information. But people are exhausted. People don't really want to think about next school year now in May, and they're exhausted. And I can't help myself. (laughs) So I'm starting with an apology to say this might overwhelm you. And if it does, Well, maybe just mark it and listen to it at the beginning of the year. Maybe listen to it in August or September when you're going back to school. But I will issue a little bit of a warning, a kind of I told you so warning, because I definitely think there is a little bit of information that you can get from this year's staff from this year's related service professionals, teachers, administrators, et cetera, the people that work with your child that will absolutely help for next year. So regardless of whether or not the school year is going really great or not so great, I think you can get a lot of good information from this year that will help you for next year. So if you're going to earmark this for next year, I implore you to just do a couple of things. Listen just a little bit in so that you can get a little bit of information from this year to help you prepare for next year. So the first two things really kind of fall into that category. Stuff that's really time sensitive that I think you should do while you still have communication lines open with this year's staff. The third thing I'm going to talk to you about, well, could you do it in August? Probably. Truth be told, I really usually do it in August. In my house, we are in a transition year. We are transitioning to a new school because Jack is going from elementary school to middle school. And so I've actually already started this list because they just want it out and present so that when things can hit my mind, I can jot them down. So we're going to talk about two things first that really you should do right now while you're talking to this year's school and staff and personnel. Um, And then one that, you know, arguably you could do with almost or the exact same amount of success before the school year starts. Okay. Let's talk about then three things that you could do now before 
you start the summer or as you kind of like roll into the summer and as the teachers are still on staff and under contract at their current school. And I have a note here at the very beginning to apologize for my voice. I'm not sick. I went to a concert and, and I maybe sang along a little bit. And so I do apologize. I actually waited a day to record hoping it would get better and it didn't. So we're just going to plow on through. But I always... um like to make sure that people aren't worried. So that is number one. All right. The first thing that I think is super important to do at the end of the school year in order to kind of get your ducks in a row for the beginning of next school year is to get a good handle on progress monitoring. To get a good handle on where your child is right now on their IEP goals. Now, when I first kind of like got into special education, and remember, I've kind of been in special education forever. I was a teacher turned attorney, and in my very first year of practice, I was getting lots of questions about school, whether it was discipline, it was IEPs, 504s, discrimination, whatever it was. But I wasn't like really into it. And so I've always been familiar with the rules and the laws of special education and the procedures. But even as a teacher turned attorney that always kind of had my finger in special education, once I like really decided, okay, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to and I'm going to do it, I'm going to set out to represent people in the area of special education, I was really um, surprised or um, weirded out or, um, as Griffin would say, combuzzled. I love that word. Um, I have no idea where he learned it, but it means confused, but it's just way better. Combuzzled. About the fact that the IEP doesn't like start on the first day of school and end on the last day of school, but rather it's this year long process, 364 day document, um, and that the goals are supposed to be goals that we um, reasonably believe a child can meet over the course of one calendar year. And it totally makes sense as to why that happens. I'm not going to go into that. Um, but that was like weird to me. The fact that it would kind of carry over through the summer. Because as a teacher, you really do kind of think like fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. You kind of think in this like linear school year thing and not a... 365-day calendar year or 364-day, uh, I guess it is 65 because, you know, it probably, the IEP starts on one day and it probably should end on that calendar day the next year if you're really following it specifically, but not really kind of that, um, that calendar year cycle. And so, um, and again, you know, there's reasons for that and, and the reasons don't necessarily matter as to why, but we, as a result of that, have this kind of um, lull in the summer where we aren't getting specially designed instruction unless we get extended school year services um, or some other, you know, programming through the school. And even if we are getting those things, it's not identical to school. I don't know of anybody um, unless you're an alternate placement or you have, you know, something beefier like that where you're in a residential program or a day program that goes all year long. I don't know, let's say many people that have consistent services all the way throughout the, the calendar year. And so what this creates, this kind of creates a like 
last year, this year scenario, and you're still in the same IEP, you're still in the same document. So you still have the same goals and you should be still getting, you know, the same or similar specially designed instruction from school year to school year. And so therefore, it is extremely, extremely important that we're kind of keeping our eye on where we were at the end of the school year and then where we start off when we get to the summer. And the big kind of reason that I think it's important that parents know why or where we are by way of progress on all of the goals, where are we, what is our stop and our start, is because in a lot of situations, we have a different teacher that's providing the specially designed instruction from May to August or from the end of the school year to the beginning of the school year. So whenever your school year is, maybe it's June to September, but we have a fifth grade teacher and then we have a sixth grade teacher, or we have the um, primary special education teacher and then we have the um, uh, uh, secondary special education teacher. And so if we're getting any kind of staff changing, the specially designed instruction might change slightly. You know, I mean, everybody approaches things from different perspectives and that's good. Change is good. The real world has a lot of change and a lot of different factors in it. But what we need is we need to know where we are right now and what is making us perform at this level. So what other factors are making us perform at this level? All that kind of anecdotal stuff. You know, maybe we're doing really, really well and it's purely environmental. Maybe it's because, you know, where we're taking data at school or at home has just the most perfect sensory environment for the child. You know, or maybe the the child is accessing just really great regulating skills to um, condition the child for learning prior to learning in this particular environment. We need to document that and we need to really understand where we are on goals and why we are there. And the reason for that is if things get really a whole lot better or a whole lot worse by way of progress in the summer, we can then go look back and say, okay, why, where were we last year objectively? What did the data look like? And then also kind of the ancillary stuff of, well, what, what was working or what wasn't working back then? Because the, this whole thing is, is, um, tangential, right? We're trying to make progress. We're trying to build upon skills. We're trying to continue to work in order to get a child to make meaningful progress year after year, goal after goal, skill after skill, developmental phase after developmental phase, etc. So we should continue to build like as I'm doing this, I am. I'm not, I'm not on video because um, I am still, if, if you're watching on YouTube, the reason why you're just getting a slide in this episode is because this is a slide low morning at the Barlow household. Um, But picture me, you know, kind of like moving my hand forward in a circle, right? Like year after year, developmental milestone after developmental milestone, we're building upon ourselves. And so we want to know what has worked and what hasn't worked in the past. And yeah, can you record that or can you mem- remember that? Can you kind of jot down notes about like, you know, the second grade teacher was really good at blah, blah, blah. Or in our old house, we had, remember how we had that great climbing wall or um, 
the house had that one wall that was really nubby. And remember how he used to like rub his hand up against that wall and then we would, um, you know, feel he would get sensory input from that or whatever. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can remember those kind of details, but can you remember them as well as you do when you get that circumstantial um, information written down right in the moment? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so that is why, friends, I think it is really important to have a good handle on not only the objectivity that the like data part of progress monitoring, but then also that kind of circumstantial other stuff, the, the smaller stuff. One last note about this one, and then we'll move on. This obviously helps if you are trying to make an argument for ESY extended school year, because, you know, we can kind of talk also about regression and recoupment and other kind of ESY factors if we have good, good data. And we can also look at this, um, you know, obviously as to how we're performing at home versus how we're performing at school and kind of the generalization across the different environments of school, home, and the community. And so, you know, if you are really, really P's and Q's, you might take data on a few different goals, including other IEP goals, and, and really like kind of analyze the data that you're getting from school and the data that you're recording at home and then data that you're recording in the community. Because obviously, you know, a kid might transition differently from home to school to the community. So that's a little bit of a geek out. That's a little bit of P's and Q's. I do not take data in the community. Um, I take data purely on IEP goals. Um, but, you know, I can foresee that, you know, we've had some behavioral challenges in our family, for example, and there's other things that we might want to take data on um, at home and in the community in order to see if we can generalize skills that we've worked on at home and get in the community or mirror an environment in the community that is motivating in order to get similar good performance at home, you know, so that's a little bit, that is the, the extended scaffolded opportunity to continue your learning. Um, but at the very least, objective information on progress monitoring, as well as um, how, um, how the environment is either helping or hurting or both progress towards goals. Okay, that's number one. Number two, evaluations. This one's a little specific and it's a little not specific. So I have had in my practice a few clients that have um, evaluations coming up that we have planned, um, you know, maybe they're triennials or uh, maybe they are initial evaluations in my office. Um, but to be quite frank, I've talked about this before. I am seeing a lot more behavior stuff and the behavior stuff is turning into evaluations because we're trying to figure out the function of the behaviors and really trying to get a handle on the child's profile so that then we can figure out how to support the child. So first we need the objective evaluation information so that we can really kind of see like what's going on with the child. We can really kind of look and make sure that there isn't anything academic that might be causing some escape function and, and to make sure that we really understand the child's sensory profile and that we're really looking into executive functioning and that sort of thing, particularly if it's behavior. But sometimes, you know, we're just due for a triennial and, um, it's coming up towards the end of the school year. And so there's a lot of different schools of thought on this. And I mean, truly, I think you have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. But the real question with, with evaluations is, well, do we want information from this year's staff or do we want information from next year's staff? You know, we're looking at... Um, 
academics and um, things that an OT would evaluate and things that a PT would evaluate and things that, um, you know, a special educator would evaluate and a general education teacher might weigh in on and um, then the school psychologist, et cetera. And like, when do we want to do this and who do we want to weigh in on it? Well, one thing that you always have to think about is I definitely do not want somebody to fill out any kind of questionnaire or form about a child if they don't know the child. And so if you're going to wait until next year, you might need to wait six weeks for somebody to really kind of understand the kids. I mean, my first year of teaching, I was in high school, and so I had six classes of students, and I had a goal to really be solid on knowing everybody's name by Halloween. Now, I totally crushed that goal. Like, I that was that was too long of a time period. I taught in Kentucky where we start, you know, around Labor Day, but... I mean, could I have told you about every single child and like about their profile and, and and about their like learning style by Halloween? Absolutely not. And if I had my eye on a, a couple of children because they were on IEPs or because they had 504s or because, you know, I knew something very specific about them, then maybe I could tell you more about them. But, um, you know, to, to put that kind of... Uh, responsibility and and then for us to hope that we're going to get good information from a teacher that barely even knows the child, I think is unrealistic. And so, you know, if you need information now, then it might be smarter to do it from these people that have gone an entire school year to get it from the current year's staff. And so sometimes what I recommend is that we actually break an evaluation apart. You know, maybe the logistics of it dictate that we can't do the educational testing until the week before school starts or two weeks into the school year um, because the school psychologist has, you know, a really busy schedule and it's an, it's a, um, whatever. Okay, well, that's fine. That's fine. Let's do that then. But in the meantime, can we go ahead and start an FBA with information? Um, you know, let's go ahead and start taking data now in this environment. And let's go ahead and send over some behavioral profiles and questionnaires to um, the current staff so that we can get that information. And, you know, maybe we can have kind of an interim meeting. Like maybe we can break the evaluation into a couple of pieces. There's no rule that says that you can't talk until the entire thing is done. You know, so, and if there is in your state, then there is in your state, this won't apply to you. But sometimes I say, let's, why don't we, why don't we take a little information from these people, see if we can put our heads together and then work to, you know, kind of the next spot of the evaluation once we have all the information together. So I think having evaluation information from the current staff can be super duper helpful. But <laughs> sometimes you have situations where the current staff doesn't, they, they just don't get a child. And it's and, and the problem with the situation is they don't want to get the child. You can just tell that they don't have any empathy, that they don't have any concern, that they, you know, don't for this particular child, that they're kind of done and they can't wait for the student to move on to the next <laughs> round of teachers. And in that case, I don't really want data from them in some situations, or I, I don't want it for a certain purpose because it's going to be skewed with their kind of implicit bias or their, um, their um, negative attitude about the child or their inability to access any kind of empathy for the child. 
And that's okay. You know, objectively, I always say there's about probably 2% of the population that just isn't compatible with, you know, somebody else. So as it applies to me, there's 2% of the population that just doesn't like me and that's okay. And there's 2% of the population that I just don't like and that's okay. And for some people, it might be 60%. You know, I have a friend that recently said, I know that I'm not like, I don't, I don't have a personality that a lot, a lot of people really enjoy. And that's okay. I'll take the 40% of the population that does. Um, and, and I disagreed with that, but that was her perception of herself. And that is absolutely okay. Um, and so, you know, but we don't want information from somebody that just doesn't like them and is going to, um, therefore then skew the decision-making for the rest of the team. Right. Um, and so, you know, kind of this idea of when should we do an evaluation and which staff should we do it from? These are the kinds of questions and ideas and thoughts that I explore with my clients when I'm deciding about the evaluation timeline. And don't forget, there are statutory or regulatory timelines that are in um, both IDEA and in probably your state law as to when evaluations and reevaluations need to happen, right? But there's some flexibility that you might be able to access and really kind of planning, you know, when we evaluate, how we evaluate, et cetera, et cetera. So think about evaluations before the end of the school year and think about who um, is going to evaluate the child and um, whether it's this year or last year. And I did all of that without looking back at my notes. And so I just realized that there's one last thing that I wanted to say. And that is, you might want information from both. You might want, you know, if it's ADHD, you might want Vanderbilt's from last year's teachers, this year's teachers, and grandparents, or your outside occupational therapist or whatever, because that will help you to make decisions in a more global and comprehensive way. And that's okay. That's great. You know, get the Vanderbilt's from as many people as you can get them from. Um, But you might make decisions for to get you through the end of this school year or to get you set up for the beginning of next school year from just a couple of people. And I did have um, kind of an example. Um, Sometimes we're changing an environment entirely. So um, something that's becoming more and more popular are um, particularly high schools that are um, that really kind of like teach with project-based learning. And so if I have kids that are coming out of a high school or a, a middle school rather, that is, you know, kind of traditional three R's where we teach and we, I mean, of course, education now is much more hands-on than it was when we parents were in school. But, um, you know, I mean, a lot of times we teach a concept, we explore it with a hands-on activity, and then we go back and we test in a pretty um, rote manner with pen and paper or, you know, scantron kind of thing, which they now do online. Um, But, you know, if we're going from something that looks like that to um, a a school setting where we have flexible seating and we have even flexible timelines to continue projects and projects have multiple steps, but they might last an entire quarter, you know, because we're like engineering a robot. And so we have to think of the idea and then we have to figure out the electric circuit. I don't know why I came up with this example just now because I'm terrible at it 
it stem stuff but I would imagine you have to figure out the electric and then you have to like figure out the mechanics and you have to figure out all the things so we go step by step in order to finally like build the robot and maybe the robots fight one another and that's like whoever wins the fight is the ultimate winner for the classroom those things can go an entire quarter and sometimes even longer and that's way more flexible and way more kind of college-like than your um, middle school experience of learn a concept, explore it with a hands-on activity, test with pen and paper. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to come back and say, okay, let's give a quarter or a semester into the school year because the entire environment's going to change. And we really don't know how the child's going to perform, but let's make an educated guess with the information that we have from, in my example, middle school in order to set up some supports to support the child while we're kind of anticipating what this new environment might look like. Okay. Thank you for indulging me to circle back a little bit as I looked at my notes. I just got excited and I went off script. Okay, so those are the two things that I think you really probably should do or at least think about and, you know, kind of discuss in your brain or discuss with your team or with your own support staff at home. Support staff. Yes, that is what I call Brandon Barlow. Uh, <laughs> with your support team at <laughs> at home that, that tickled me <laughs> um whoever your whoever your people are at home um and in the community discuss with them before the school year is over now this one i as i said as we were kind of starting out i have already started this list and that's because we are transitioning to a new school from elementary to middle um and oftentimes i start this list now and sometimes i i start it a week before the school year um but i think it's a good thing if if you can just kind of start thinking about this one and this is number three so um i i just have this lib labeled brainstorms for next year but really what i'm talking about is things that you want to communicate before the beginning of the school year to your new team. So what do you communicate to your new team before the next school year? Well, if you are an Ashley Barlow aficionado, then um, you are going to write a back to school email and you are going to do your Jack book or your all about me book, right? Don't call it a Jack book, call it whatever your kid is, your Fred book. Have I ever told you that I wanted to name Griffin Fred? So I, I will tell you that someday. So um, at least those two things, your back to school email and your all about me book kind of idea. I have information about both of these on my website under the resources tab. Um, and I've got that communication bundle, which has some really good templates for communication. So if you don't know about the back to school email, um, definitely hop over to ashleybarlowco.com and, and grab that resource. So um, what we're communicating in that back to school email is changes and things that have happened over the summer. And then also the stuff that we've looked at from number one of this podcast, like what we were doing, um, you know, at the end of last school year, what was working and what wasn't working, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think what's really important here is that you are taking the time to kind of brainstorm or to take notes about what's going to go into that email. And so, you know, in my case, Jack's um, disability affects him pretty, um, 
pretty globally across several different areas of development. And so, you know, something as basic as like how he says certain words so that he is understood at school. Um, I have a whole list of, you know, kind of words that he says a lot that nobody will understand. And so I... <laughs> I think I should probably address the panting. Coco just walked into the room where I am. So that is a 90-pound black lab that you hear that wants a little bit of attention. Um, so I am communicating to the school team about um, Jack's language and, and words, you know, um, Nerf gun does sound like Nerf gun, but I don't have the list in front of me. But, you know, words that, like when he was in um, preschool, he called chocolate milk, blah, blah, blah. And it always sounded the exact same. And so they needed to know that chocolate milk sounds like you're just like garbling your tongue. Blah, blah, blah. Um, because if he wanted chocolate milk instead of orange juice in the cafeteria, they needed to know that that was chocolate milk because it did not sound anything like chocolate milk. So, um, you know, you want to communicate things that apply to all different areas of development, and then certainly your related services like speech and OT and PT. And it is just really overwhelming to come up with all of those things the last week of school. Like, what else do I need to tell them? The book of Jack Barlow, they are going to get him. And the idea here is that you want to hit the ground running on the first day of school right? You don't want them to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure him out. And so I'm taking notes throughout the entire summer on things that are working, behavior strategies that are working, incentives that we work for, um, things that worked in elementary school that we forgot to talk about at our um, middle school transition meeting. I'm recording all of those things so that then I can put them into either the All About Me book or the back to school email, and in some cases, maybe both. I mean, the back to school email, if I need, you know, four sentences to explain something that's in the Jack book that needs a few more words, maybe I, I will also reference it in the back to school email. So I'm kind of taking notes about um, what has happened, like those struggles and successes from um, the, the school year and from the summer. I am taking notes about experiences that Jack has had so that he can communicate about experiences that he has and so that they can kind of connect his experiences to his learning. They can make examples and, and activities that are um, based on his experiences so that he can understand and it's real life concrete stuff. Um, I'm providing them behavioral, behavioral ideas, developmental progress, developmental struggles, any regression, anything that is different. Um, I have a section in my notes about um, any worries or concerns that we might have. So I know one of their worries, for example, is Jack is extremely small. He's like first grade sized and he's going to a building with eighth graders in it. And so six through eight um, and they totally just revamped their schedule uh, or their yeah, like their schedule of the day, they're, they added a class period and whatever, which means that kids are going to be going um, through all levels of the school, like first floor, second, third um, floors. And so, you know, how's he going to transition? I'm not as concerned about that, but they're like, he's so little, could he get trampled? 
Um, and I said, well, if he, I mean, obviously if he gets trampled, trampled, that's a problem. But if he gets trampled the first day, maybe that'll incentivize him to uh, keep up with the flow because he's capable of keeping up with the flow. And sometimes um, he just needs natural consequences to incentivize him to um, to continue moving with the flow. And sometimes we might need some different supports or even a modification, like leaving early or something like that. Um, so, you know, you're kind of taking notes about anything that you might anticipate as being a problem or an issue for the next year. So I keep this note in my planner and that way, and I've got it kind of separated out into the paragraphs that I anticipate I might put into, um, into my back to school email. And what it does is it allows me to be like, oh, I, I got to remember that for next year and to jot it down as opposed to trying to keep it all in my brain. If I keep everything in my brain and I don't jot it down, then that yields to this cycle of anxiety where I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like writing the letter for back to school in May instead of just writing it down and waiting until August to do it and actually doing it in paper instead of doing it in my brain, which will certainly relieve a little bit of anxiety um, from year to year. So with that, I will turn you loose. Those are three things that I think that you can do to make your transition to the next school year a lot more smooth. We will summarize them up with um, progress monitoring being number one, number two, considering evaluation timing, and number three, brainstorming the things that you want to communicate for next year. I hope you have a great week. I will see you next time, same time, same place.